Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Today on Inside Politics, a rapid escalation of war. Israeli troops push deeper into Gaza as their ground assault intensifies. They say they've killed dozens of terrorists who were barricaded in tunnels and buildings. But what does this mean for the more than 230 people believed to be held hostage by Hamas? Plus, hunting for Jews. A mob at a Russian airport storms the tarmac searching for Israelis on a flight arriving from Tel Aviv. This as anti-Semitic incidents surge globally and right here in the United States. And then there were eight. Mike Pence is out of the 2024 race as a new poll shows Trump more than doubling the support of his nearest rival in Iowa. Nikki Haley is gaining ground, but can she or anyone else catch up? I'm Dana Bash. Let's go behind the headlines and inside politics. We begin with Israel's war against Hamas terrorists. A new round of airstrikes lighting up the sky in Gaza as the IDF says it's stepping up operations on the ground and sending more troops in. CNN's Nick Robertson is live in Starot. Nick, what's the latest on the ground there? Yeah, the IDF says it's increasing its activity in Gaza itself. We've seen troops actually on the ground in Gaza City, the biggest city uh, in the north of Gaza Strip, the most one of the most densely populated areas. Last night, we were aware that the troops, IDF troops, were, had at least established a base head on the coastline and had, were relatively speaking outside of densely populated, populated civilian areas. That has changed today. The IDF has been dropping flyers over Gaza, telling people there that they are now in a battlefield, that they need to move south out of the northern Gaza area, out of the central Gaza area, and go to a humanitarian zone in the south. Even one Al Jazeera journalist said her husband at their home in Gaza City received a phone call that was from the IDF telling them that they needed to leave. So this does seem to be an extensive effort to warn the population population that there are troops on the ground, that they are coming, that the, that the area, area is no longer safe, but much more military activity. And the way the IDF is fighting on the ground, they say the troops are identifying where the terrorists are, and then they're bringing in airstrikes uh, on those locations. Now, we've heard those airstrikes through the day. We've been hearing and can hear now the fighter jets in the sky. You could see the contrails earlier on. The jets literally flying big, lazy loops just outside of Gaza, waiting 
for those calls from the troops on the ground to target a specific location. And that's the way the battle's moving now, Donna. Okay, Nick, thank you so much for that reporting. Now to the humanitarian crisis inside Gaza. CNN just learned that 26 aid trucks passed inspection and made their way to Gaza from Egypt. CNN's Jeremy Diamond is near Israel's border with Gaza. Jeremy, first, what are you hearing about these aid trucks? Well, it does appear that more aid trucks are going to begin to go into Gaza, and that follows significant pressure from the United States on Israel to ramp up inspections of those humanitarian aid trucks to let more into Gaza. We know that 75 aid trucks are apparently waiting to cross from Egypt into Gaza, according to Egyptian officials. But, you know, really what we have seen is that this is likely going to start to ramp up. Uh, Expectations are that there could be as many as 100 trucks per day soon going into Gaza. But the reality is that U.N. officials say that that is just not even nearly enough compared to the extensive humanitarian need inside of Gaza. Uh, Before the war, 455 trucks used to enter Gaza daily with food, medication, and fuel. And as of now, the discussions are only about letting in food and medication right now. Fuel is still something that Israeli officials are not willing to let in. And there's no question that as this ground invasion continues to advance, we are continuing to see the cost for civilians inside of Gaza continuing to mount as Hamas militants and Israeli troops battle inside the Gaza Strip. Meanwhile, I want to ask about something going on internally inside Israel, which is that the Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu, he's under a lot of pressure, a lot of criticism over uh, a social media post, which he ended up deleting. What can you tell us about that? Yeah, that's exactly right, Dana. And the Israeli prime minister has really faced a lot of questions over the last three weeks since that uh, October 7th Hamas terrorist attacks, because you have watched as security officials and intelligence officials, high ranking officials inside the Israeli government have all turn by turn taken responsibility for the massive intelligence failure uh, that uh, happened before that October 7th attack. And yet the Israeli prime minister has not taken any responsibility. And instead, what he did over the weekend is cast blame on on that intelligence community, writing in a tweet, quote, at no point was a warning given to Prime Minister Netanyahu on on Hamas's intention to start a war. On the contrary, all the defense officials, including the heads of the intelligence directorate and the Shin Beit, assessed that Hamas was deterred. Now, the Israeli prime minister actually deleted that tweet nine hours later and issued a rare apology, saying that he was wrong for that tweet and asserting that he stands behind the security and intelligence apparatus here in Israel. All of that, of course, as this ground invasion advances. You can see behind me, Dana, these flares that are going up as Israeli troops continue to operate even in the dark on this fourth day of this expanded ground operation. Dana. Jeremy, thank you. Uh, Glad you're wearing your helmet there. Appreciate it. Now we want to go to a terrifying scene that forced a Russian airport to shut down. What you're looking at is a mob that broke in and charged the tarmac after a flight from Tel Aviv had just arrived. Some have characterized this as a protest. But to be clear, this was not an anti-war protest. This was an anti-Semitic hunt for Jews. Videos verified by CNN show them holding signs that read, we are against Jewish refugees and there is no place for child killers in Dagestan. CNN's Fred Pleitkin is live in Berlin. Fred, what are you learning about this incident, this 
<clears throat> horrifying incident that played out. Hi there, Dan. I think, first of all, I think you're absolutely right. I think uh, what that crowd was doing was uh, on the face of it, at the beginning at least, protesting, but it did then turn into essentially them trying to hunt down Jews inside that airport, on the tarmac, and outside of that airport as well. And I think it really was a multifaceted thing, which really uh, looks quite chilling when you see some of the video that was out there. You're absolutely right. But there was a flight that came in from Tel Aviv into the capital of the Dagestan region of Russia, which is a Muslim-majority region in that country. And as that plane was landing was when these protesters started and they forced their way onto the tarmac and actually made it all the way to that plane. And I was looking at some of the videos that came out of them where some of the handlers there said that the passengers had already left, but the crowd then moved onto other planes, forcing the passengers of those planes back onto those aircraft. Now, some of the other scenes that we witnessed there as well, certainly extremely troubling because you could see then some of these groups of protesters encircling some of the folks who apparently were passengers on that flight from Tel Aviv and checking whether or not these people were Jews. There was one specific incident with a man who said that he was Uzbek but couldn't speak Uzbek language because obviously he's been living in Russia for a very long time. And they accused him uh, of lying and demanded to see his passport and in the end wanted to check the man's phone as well. There was also a bus that was stopped uh, with some terrified families inside uh, who were saying that they simply wanted to get medical attention uh, to some of the uh, children who were on that bus as well. So certainly some pretty troubling scenes and it did seem as though the Russian authorities on the ground, Dana, uh, were quite surprised that this was going on and it took them helicoptering in police units to disperse the crowd. Definitely an incident that certainly is causing a lot of concern. Uh, I just really want to point out real quickly that uh, the Kremlin was asked about this incident earlier today and they blamed the incitement, as they put it, on external interference, as the Kremlin said, Dana. Mm. Wow. Not really sure what that means, but it's uh, nice that the police, that they got in there quickly. Uh, but again, it is terrifying to see this uh, in 2023. Uh, again, just a pure hunt for Jews. Thank you so much, Fred. Appreciate it. I want to follow up on our reporting from Israel with a spokesperson for the Israeli military, Lieutenant Colonel Peter Lerner with the Israeli Defense Forces. Thank you so much for joining me. Uh, I want to ask about this so-called new phase of the military response. It appears slower and more targeted than an all-out ground incursion that many inspected, expected, I should say. What is the military objective and strategy right now? Dana, we are now on day 24 of our military operation in a war that was forced on us by Hamas when they launched a brutal massacre in Israel. Um, we are currently operating, escalating every day, um, broadening and expanding our operations in the air, on the ground and at sea in order to achieve our goal, to destroy and dismantle Hamas, uh, I would say step by step, strike by strike. And how much of this current phase is about trying to push Hamas to release hostages? Obviously, I understand that you are going after as much as you can the leadership of Hamas, the leadership of that terrorist uh, organization, but how much of it is also trying to convince them they need to release civilian hostages? Well, of course, the issue of hostages is a, a, a top priority, I would say a national priority for us. You know, Hamas chose to embark on a brutal massacre, um, raping, burning, murdering and executing, but also abduction. And now we're up to 239 Israelis, and I, I don't know if you've seen, if you've broadcasted 
uh, a, a Hamas distributed a video just a few hours ago of three hostages in a you know really blatant breach of humanitarian law, um, you know basic human decency. And so, of course, there is a concern, and we are utilizing all of our abilities in order to bring them home. And they need to be released. They need to be released now. Um, we have demanded that the international community of the Red Cross, international community of the Red Cross, mm-hmm. have access to them. Uh, but they need to be brought home now, safe and sound. And we, as a network, are choosing not to broadcast those uh, those hostage videos from uh, Hamas at this point. Uh, I don't need to tell you. Well, first of all, let me just preface this by saying that it. We need to underscore that Hamas historically and right now, uses uh, their own civilians as human shields. And uh, that is something that they have done and they're doing as we speak. Having said that, knowing that that is their manipulative strategy, how truly targeted can you be and are you going to be uh, as the Israeli forces move in in trying to avoid civilians? I recognize this is difficult, but so we, how much of a priority is that for you right now? Indeed, it's obviously extremely difficult. And, you know, it is a challenge for any military in the world operating in such circumstances. Um, unfortunately, indeed, as you rightly pointed out, Hamas have extensively embedded all of their terrorist capabilities in the residential areas, in houses, in high-rise buildings, uh, beneath mosques, next to UN facilities, they are putting at the people of Gaza at severe risk. They are holding 239 Israelis and foreign nationals hostage. They're also holding 2 million Palestinians hostage. So our role is to try and differentiate, to distinguish between those. But we are going to destroy and dismantle Hamas nevertheless. We have to do our best. We've designated a humanitarian zone down in south of Gaza. We distributed again today calling on people to go towards the south, to go towards the areas with the, the, the Mawasi area, which is a safe, safe zone, a yeah. humanitarian zone where goods will be supplied. And, and indeed, it is a huge challenge. And every, every life lost in this war is a result of Hamas's aggression against Israel. This is where it all boils down to when, when we see the, the, the images of the three hostages early, released by Hamas th- today, this is a stark reminder why we are here and what needs to change and the yeah. paradigm needs to change. Hamas can yeah, no longer yeah. have if, the ability in, in the tools of government. Yeah, if I may. Uh, Sorry. The, no, no, I, and I understand. And we are uh, staying focused on the origin of this, of this war. But the reality is you just said that there are two million Palestinians being held hostage, so to speak, inside Gaza by Hamas. And so I want to ask about fuel. It is crucial to keeping the hospitals open, making it so that those civilians can get drinkable water, that they can be in hospitals that are, that are working. Uh, some fuel has gotten into Gaza, but really not enough. Even the Biden White House is saying more has to be allowed in. Will you allow fuel into Gaza to help stem the humanitarian crisis? So there is fuel in Gaza, and Hamas is holding that fuel hostage as well. They're distributing it to the hospitals as they see fit. They are the governing authority of the Gaza Strip. But are there not right UN? Distribute are the there not UN and NGOs well, who can help to make sure that it gets to civilians? The 
well, we've seen that what happened to UN facilities when people, mostly young men, as you pointed out um, on earlier reports on CNN today, uh, we don't know who these people are that are taking, breaking into UN facilities, taking out their goods. We don't know who they, in, in the week before last, Hamas came, Hamas came into um, the UN compound and took fuel and took medical supplies. So Hamas has the ability, and we've seen throughout the last three weeks now, over three weeks, unfortunately, that Hamas has been, is able to manage the dimmer on, on the amount of fuel that it distributes. Um, the reason they are distributing fuel actually to the hospitals is because, as we reported earlier, we know what's going on beneath right. those hospitals with Hamas operating yeah. command and control centers beneath them. Yeah. So that they're actually utilizing those hospitals. That, this is the reality. Yeah, it is incredibly complicated. Uh, but meanwhile, there are, as you know, a, a lot of civilians suffering at the hands uh, of Hamas and even more so now that there is a war uh, that Hamas caused. Thank you so much. Appreciate it, Lieutenant Colonel Peter Lerner. And ahead, the Biden administration announces new actions today aimed at combating a dangerous rise in anti-Semitic incidents in the U.S. on college campuses in particular across the country. We'll talk about that next. This podcast is supported by Sleep Number. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for each of you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores? Sleep Number does that. Only Sleep Number smart beds let you each choose your ideal comfort and support. Your Sleep Number setting. Sleep Number smart beds learn how you sleep and provide personalized insights to help you sleep better. All Sleep Number smart beds feature cooling, pressure-relieving comfort layers for soothing sleep throughout the night. Temperature-balancing bedding is designed to move heat and moisture away when you're hot. When you're cool, they hold their energy to help warm you. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. There is a dangerous uptick in anti-Semitic incidents right here in the U.S., many on college campuses. At Cornell University, images like this one surfaced on campus, but it was much worse, targeting not just Israel, but Jewish students. Blatant, raw anti-Semitism. Online threats, including calls to shoot Jewish students and threats to the Cornell Kosher Dining Hall. Authorities are investigating and warning students to stay away from a building that specifically was named in those threats, which houses that Kosher Dining Hall. In a statement, the school's president says in part, this incident highlights the need to combat the forces that are dividing us and driving us toward hate. This cannot be what defines us at Cornell. And this is just one example of countless incidents at college campuses that have made Jew Jewish students downright scared. 
Joining me now to discuss this is Jonathan Greenblatt, the CEO and National Director of the Anti-Defamation League. Jonathan, there's anti-war, there's anti-Israel, and there is anti-Semitism. Your organization, the ADL, says that incidents like I just described at Cornell have increased 388% just in the last month since the October 7th attack in Israel. What are you seeing? Yeah, well, Dana, thanks for covering this. And I also want to just thank you for the prior segment. When you clarified on the air something that the BBC and these other networks can't get right, what happened in Dagestan was not a protest. It was a would-be pogrom. These are not people complaining about policy. These are people looking to find and kill Jews. And that clarity of language has never mattered more. Now, in terms of the context here in the United States, the ADL indeed tracks anti-Semitic incidents. And let's keep in mind that prior to October 7th, we had already seen the highest number of anti-Jewish acts in America that the ADL had ever tracked in the last you know, 45 years. So prior to October 7th, it was already terribly frightening. And then, as you said, we've seen hundreds and hundreds of horrible acts of harassment vandalism and violence in just the last three weeks, this almost 400% increase. Mm. And let me actually put, put the data to explain it a little bit in even deeper relief. So we saw right here in Washington, D.C. last week, letters projected, words projected onto the library, glory to the martyrs, yeah. celebrating the individuals who murdered and massacred Israeli civilians at Tulane in New Orleans, Jewish students were assaulted. And Jonathan, I'm just going to I'm just going to interrupt you because I want our viewers to know we're going to play some of the video that happened at Tulane where things escalated. Please continue. Yeah, at the Cooper Union, a college in New York City, the security barricaded the students in the library to keep the Jewish students away from an enraged mob that when they learned the kids were in the building, they pounded on the doors, Dana, and chanted globalize the intifada for, so that your viewers know the intifada was a violent set of terror acts committed against innocent Israelis where they blew up buses, blew up discotheques, murdered people with their bare hands. So this is not about protest. This is, this is literally anti-Semitism raw. And, you know, already Jews are the most targeted religious minority in the country by a, by a wide margin. What we're seeing now appropriately has Jews all over America deeply, deeply, deeply concerned and worried, worried about what's going to happen to us right here in this country. Jonathan, you and I spoke for a special that we did last year on growing anti-Semitism in America, and you described the, uh, the extremism on the right as like uh, like a hurricane or, or a tornado and some kind of event that happens very quickly and you can see it. And the anti-Semitism on the left more like climate change, which is slow and growing. How would you describe it now? And do you think that this is a left-right well, issue at this point? Look, it's clear that the hardened anti-Zionists are on the, from the far left are the photo inverse of the white supremacists from the far right. And I mean, there is no argument anymore that anti-Zionism is anti-Semitism. I mean, to, I mean, that is as plain as day. And to think that extremism only comes from one side of the spectrum is a joke. 
So when I used to say that the heart, the, the anti-Semitism from the left, Dan, was like climate change, getting worse and worse, and it could create the conditions in which storms could happen, this is that Category 5 hurricane. When Jewish people are being told to avoid kosher dining halls because other students want to, quote, slit their throat. Look, Dana, this is a moment of accountability, not just for universities, which, by the way, are failing the test. This is a moment of accountability for America. No one should think that it is permissible because you don't like policies in the Middle East to threaten violence and incite hate against your Jewish neighbors, your Jewish friends, your Jewish classmates. I have got to say, this is a moment, this is not a moment just for Jews. This is a moment for everyone in America to say, time out. This is totally wrong. And I think, you know, I'm meeting with the Secretary of Education in a few minutes. Mm -hmm. I'm glad what President Biden has said. We're going to hold the administration to account to make sure they're keeping our Jewish kids safe. Jonathan Greenblatt, thank you so much for coming on. Appreciate it. Thank you, Dana. Up next, brand new polling out of Iowa on the political front here. Has Donald Trump maintained his seismic lead and who surged into a tie for second place? We're going to talk about 2024 politics again after a short break. A new Iowa poll finds Donald Trump maintaining a commanding lead in the state that is going to host the first in the nation caucuses. But there is some interesting jockeying that we're seeing for second place as support for Nikki Haley rises and support for Ron DeSantis, it decreases. One person who is not included in these results is former Vice President Mike Pence, who made a surprise announcement on Saturday. I came here to say it's become clear to me this is not my time. So after much prayer and deliberation, I have decided to suspend my campaign for president effective today. Join me now to break all of this down. Our panel of reporters, CNN's Kristen Holmes, Paul Kane of The Washington Post, and CNN's Eva McKend. Uh, you were there, weren't you, when that happened? Yeah, it was stunning. I mean, it was really a surprise. And I will tell you, they wanted it to be a surprise. They did not want anyone to know that, yes, that Pence was going to drop out. In fact, I was told that one of the advisors actually skipped the middleman at the conference to give the speech directly to the teleprompter operator in order to not have anyone, any leaks for anyone, because they just wanted to make sure he got to have control of his own messaging. So... Yeah, I mean, there's a lot to discuss about the fact that a sitting, a a former, the most recent vice president, but any vice president only has a race for his party's nomination that lasts five months long. We know the reason for that is Donald Trump and and what he did, what Mike Pence did uh, in standing up, in his words, for the Constitution and increasingly criticizing Donald Trump for not pressuring him to try to overturn uh, the election results. And as we saw, it is still very much Donald Trump's party in this latest nationally, but also in this latest Iowa poll. He is so far ahead of everybody else. In fact, let's just look at how locked in Trump's supporters are. This is a part of this Iowa poll. If you look at all caucus goers, 41 percent to 54 percent Trump supporters, 63 percent to 37 percent. I mean, it is, as our friend David Chalian says, sticky, 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 his support. 
It is sticky. And if you went through the last few months of Iowa polls, and specifically the Des Moines Register poll considered the best, um, his support isn't actually growing. It is locked in in that low 40 to mid 40 range. He leads by a larger number today than he did a couple months ago because support for others, most particularly Ron DeSantis, has collapsed. Nikki Haley is really, and uh, uh, Ramaswamy also dropped four, five or six points. And so uh, Nikki Haley is the only one who's growing right now, but she's up to 16 percent. And I want to look at that in one second, but just staying on Trump for a second, Eva. Uh, there was a, a quote from a Iowa poll respondent as part of this poll, Dennis uh, Kanarski. And he said, if Trump's not running, I would have to see what the other candidates stand for. Otherwise, it's Trump all the way. He's my hero. Him and Jesus are my heroes. It's quite a statement. It is. And that is what his rivals have to confront. I think that there is bewilderment and frustration among these campaigns. They're careful about how they articulate this, uh, but it is clear they have been campaigning for months, uh, fundraising, um, heavy media blitzes, and nothing seems to be uh, working here. I think, um, though, we have seen Nikki Haley, you know, move a little bit. I was texting and Let's look at that. As you talk, I just want to put up the, uh, the Nikki Haley numbers, how she has increased in this poll. I, I was texting an Iowa state lawmaker this morning trying to get a sense behind you know, what is the reason for this momentum she's enjoying. And he says he thinks it's the ads that are breaking through. He told me that she's coming off like your aunt at a barbecue and he's seeing it on the ground in real time. People sort of shifting into her lane. But will it be enough is the big question. She's got she's trying to do something that really almost no one else except maybe Tim Scott has been trying to do. And it's collect all of these voters who are willing to consider someone else. You know, there is Trump's... Oh, that 16% isn't all these voters. I but, know. But, but, I, but I take your point. She still went up 10 points. She's at least trying to do that. There is somewhere around 50% of Iowa caucus goers who are willing to consider someone else. And, and people like Ramaswamy and uh, DeSantis are over here fighting to try and win over those Trump voters. You just showed that poll. Those Trump voters are locked in. You, someone has to pull together all of these non-Trump voters to present something of an alternative, or else this nomination is going to be over really quick. So with, with Mike Pence out of the race, uh, the only aggressively, and he has been the most aggressive aside from Asa Hutchinson, is Chris Christie. And when I say aggressive, aggressively anti-Trump candidate. And in the wake of Pence dropping out, he went on State of the Union yesterday with Jake. And here's what he said. Donald Trump is not going to be able to beat Joe Biden from a courtroom in Washington, D.C., while he's fighting his indictment on the January 6th case. And let me tell you, that indictment got much tougher for him to beat when his own chief of staff has now accepted immunity and will testify against him about the lies he told in the aftermath of January 6th. He has been consistently on that message. Um, he appears to be at least qualifying for the next debate, but he is nowhere near where Donald Trump is. And his message wasn't well received over the weekend with RJC. I mean, they were Republican booing Jewish him. Yes, the, Repu the Republican Jewish Coalition, which is where Mike Pence dropped out in Las Vegas. Uh, there was a lot of booing, not a lot of reception there. I, I will say that almost everyone I talked to in the crowd 
really, really liked Nikki Haley. Mm. There was no mention of Ron DeSantis. It was all Nikki Haley, Nikki Haley. And this is, a, this is a different crowd. Remember, most of what I do is I go to Trump rallies. I go to Trump events. This is not a Trump event. This is a very different section of the Republican Party, but they liked her foreign policy. Now, they were still happy with a lot of what Trump did for the Middle East, and they said that they would likely eventually back him. But there was a lot of movement in the Nikki Haley, so much so I actually was emailing people about it because I had not heard that at an event recently. Really interesting. Thank you all. Appreciate it. And the new Speaker of the House vows to move forward with a multi-billion dollar aid package for Israel. But Democratic divisions over support for that country and for the war in particular exposes deep rifts within the Democratic Party. We're going to go live to Capitol Hill to talk about this next. I'm Ina Garten. Welcome to Be My Guest, the podcast. One of the best gifts you can give friends is spending time together. But what's even better than that? Cooking with them. On Be My Guest, the podcast, new friends and old stop by my barn for some conversation and great cooking. We talk about food, life, and everything in between. Listen to Be My Guest, the podcast with me, Ina Garten, and join us wherever you get your podcasts. $14.5 billion. That's how much aid the new House Speaker Mike Johnson wants to send to Israel. But it will tee up a big fight in his first full week with the gavel since Democrats and a lot of Republicans want to link that Israel aid to a larger package to Ukraine. CNN's Manu Raju is at the Capitol. Manu, this appears to be a top priority for the new Speaker, but it's like everything where you're standing complicated. It's very complicated, unclear exactly how this will play out. We do know that the speaker plans to have a vote later this week on a $14.5 billion aid package to Israel. But there are two complications. One, he is refusing to include aid to Ukraine as part of it, even though Senate Republican leader Mitch McConnell just reiterated his support and calls to include supplement funding for Ukraine in a package with Israel. Now, this also comes as Johnson is moving to push for spending cuts as part of his plan to offset the $14.5 billion price tag. That is going to prompt a furious Democratic response. So it is unclear whether he will get the votes to pass this package out of the House, much less the Democratic-controlled Senate. Now, this all comes at a time of Democratic divisions, which are growing over how to express support for Israel. Last week, when a symbolic resolution passed to reaffirm support for Israel, 15 Democrats, one Republican, were not in favor of that. Then one Democratic Congress Josh Gottheimer, a prominent Israel supporter in the Democratic caucus, called those members despicable and said they don't speak for our party. One of them, Andre Carson, responded to Gottheimer. He's cowardly. I think he's uh, uh, not acting in the role as a member of Congress. I think he's shown himself to be very emotional. Like most cowardly people, when you confront them, they're afraid. I'm unafraid of the guy. And if he wants to call us despicable, I'm saying he's a coward and he's a punk. And he should remember why the people sent him here. And if he wants to play some kind of tough guy or gangster, we can handle it like gentlemen and we can get into something else. Now, Godheimer said in response to those comments that he would sit down with Carson any time to talk about how bringing, they can bring the hostages home, provide humanitarian relief, and crush Hamas and all terrorists seeking to do us harm. And I'm told, Dana, that those two members are planning to meet, likely meet, sometime this week. Dana. Let's hope so. 
that's a, a, very, a very important meeting, not just between the two men, but as a symbol for so much of the, uh, of the strife that's going on on this issue in this country. Thank you so much. Appreciate it. And our reporters are back here. Uh, Eva, let's turn back to the, the larger issue, which is, I mean, this is all related, the, the internal Democratic uh, fighting a, a, about it, but also the larger issue of whether or not Israel is going to get the aid that it says it needs, but also Ukraine. And the fact that you just have this news that Manu reported from Mitch McConnell, the top Republican, who seems to agree with the Democrats who run the Senate, that Ukraine and Israel, it should all be tied together. You know, Dana, there has always been these divisions among Republicans because they are trying to balance, you know, some of the sort of hawkish members and then also this uh, stated commitment to fiscal conservatism and the foreign aid. uh, There is a conflict with those two priorities. Much was made of the Democrats who did not support the symbolic pro-Israel resolution. But the one Republican who didn't, Congressman Thomas Massey, one of the reasons he gave for not supporting it was the lack of clarity for how long uh, they would be committed uh, financially to Israel. So this is something that we're going to see continue to play out and really Congressman Johnson's first big test. Yes. Now, the Mitch McConnell way of doing things is, is really simple. Because <coughs> Ukraine aid sort of divides the Republican Party. Israel divides the Democratic Party. But if you tie them both together, add on some border security for uh, the U.S. southwest border, some Taiwan stuff, everybody has something to vote for, mm-hmm. and this should pass overwhelmingly. That's the old congressional way of doing things. Everybody because has something. Because it sounds like normal and logical. <laughs> yes. Um, but House Republicans have furiously been against this for for several years now. And that far-right faction that ousted Kevin McCarthy, that sort of engineered this new speaker, Mike Johnson, who we're only learning more and more about now, um, they hate the idea of these big omnibus packages where everybody gets something and and it all passes bigger and better than ever. They hate that. But it's it's the size, which is a big part of it, of course, you know, you walk these halls all the time, and I hear from sources as well. But it's also specifically the concern about Ukraine inside the growing Trump base. Yes. Yeah. It's all about America first when it comes to Donald Trump. They think that if you give money to Ukraine, that is not money that will not go back into America. It is a version of isolationism, and it is something that has not been widely popular within the Republican Party, but has become more popular after Donald Trump. Interestingly enough, I think Vivek Ramaswamy is actually paying for this, though, on the ground in places like Iowa, where there is this split among Republicans there on um, on support for, for financial support for Israel. Great discussion. Thanks, everybody. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. Breaking news, breaking good news. Israeli forces say a female IDF soldier who was kidnapped by Hamas during the barbaric October 7th attack was released during ground operations in Gaza. Again, very good news. We are told that uh, she was medically checked, is doing well, and has met with her family. We'll have more on that in a bit. In the meantime, we want to talk about a federal judge overseeing Donald Trump's federal election subversion case The judge reinstated the gag order, which prohibits Donald Trump from making statements targeting the special counsel's team or potential witnesses. 
In true Trump fashion, he responded on social media, claiming his right to free speech was being infringed. CNN's Evan Perez joins me. Evan, what, it, what does this actually mean in practical terms? In practical terms, it means that you probably expect the, the former president to keep doing these social media posts. The judge really has given him a lot of room, uh, but you know the, the, the restrictions are basically to make sure that he's not attacking witnesses, uh, people like Bill Barr, for instance. The former president has been, has been posting about uh, people like Mike Pence that he has been posting about in the past. And then, uh, of course, you know, people who are on the staff of the special counsel, what he is free to do is, of course, still say that, you know, the, the, the prosecution is politically motivated. He's allowed to attack the Biden administration and the Justice Department. So we expect that Trump will appeal this because he, of course, is claiming that this is still an infringement upon his, on his, on his freedom of speech. Um, but the problem is, Dana, in the end, no matter what the restrictions are, you and I know that Donald Trump will still probably break through those restrictions. And so the question is, at what point does the judge do something about it? Right. How, how is it? Well, just like it ha that happened in the New York case. Right. Uh, was, uh, was sanctioned and fined. Thank you, Evan. Appreciate it. Thank you for joining Inside Politics. CNN News Central starts after a quick break. When you work, you work next level. When you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number smart bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. 